Hi, my name is Cesar Cavazos and welcome to Friction Law. I am joined by my co-host, Rick Blaylock, and we are here to bring you the best insights of UX, developer experience, and how we experiment with the extraction of joy, struggles, and other emotions when using technologies. Let's get started. Welcome to another episode of Friction Law. Last episode, we talked about Epic versus Apple, and it came into the conversation Hey.com. We decided to, both of us, do a friction log about it. So welcome, Rick. How are you? Hey. <laughs> Hey.com. How many times can you say hey before it becomes a bad joke? Oh, man. I'm going to use it all the time in this episode. Hey, Cesar. How you doing? <laughs> hey, you know what I found? <laughs> oh, man. It's actually a pretty good name. I wonder how much they paid for that, that dot .com. It's a great dot .com. I know. How much, like, I, I have no idea how much uh, some of these domains are these days. That'll be interesting to figure out. Surprised there's, there's not a dot .hey TLD. Like, I'm surprised there's not a top-level domain of, so he would be hey.hey. <laughs> Kind of oh, give them some time, and I'm sure they will. Uh, <laughs> they will come up with it. Yeah, right. Yeah. If it's not Basecamp, yeah. it's going to be somebody else, and it's like uh, your social domain or, or something like that. You can do like dot what music dot video dot events. Yeah. You can do pretty much anything. I think there's like dot fish and dot. Yeah, there's some crazy ones out there. Yeah, it's interesting. There is a dot fish or fishing or something because I know I bought it for the fish roll stuff. And I was surprised it was there. I'm like, oh, I guess I better buy that. <laughs> and and what did you buy? Rules.fish? <laughs> I don't, yeah, I have no idea. I don't know. <laughs> eat, eat fish. I don't know. It's what funny. is this fish? <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's cool. What is dot fish? Just for your reference um, of kind of fishes, but it <laughs> should be fun. <laughs> it's funny. So this is going to be an interesting friction log because... I mean, I didn't do a screen recording of this like we did some of the other ones. I don't think you did either, but I I kind of intentionally didn't do that. But this isn't necessarily a developer tool. It's more of a consumer, you know, app SaaS kind of thing. But what's interesting is with this is the amount of emotions that this thing evoked out of me while I was using it. And so trying to be objective with it and then also, you know, let the emotions flow is kind of interesting. So I think for the actual log that'll be on the site, that'll probably be, that should be the objective stuff. Like when keyboard shortcuts don't work and when something's not clear what something means and stuff. But I think um, I, I definitely have two routes I can go on this podcast. I can talk about objectively some of those things and then also just the emotional things that this new app uh, created. <laughs> I, I think we can do a little bit of both because at the end of the day, as you said, this is different. We usually talk about developer tools and we usually talk about what do we feel from a developer experience, but we're using mm -hmm. UX laws and UX principles to analyze this, which means that it can be used for consumer apps and kind of like as a third party and right. we can give our opinion with it. We can be objective to some degree, but also that were sometimes that I had some feelings about it. And I think the reason why at least I didn't do a recording was I have been using Hey for a little bit more than three weeks now. 
and mm. I have been intentionally using it as opposed to uh, whatever I use, especially on my iPad where I use a Spark. So uh, I rerouted all my email that usually goes to Spark. I rerouted to Hey, and I didn't delete the Spark app because I need to reply and, and I, I cannot do that move um, yet, or I don't know if I will ever do it, but <laughs> um, I really tried. And there is no way you're gonna watch like three weeks of me checking my email <laughs> so that is the reason why not. But there are a ton of notes and they're going to be available on the log. We're going to link from the notes on the podcast to it. And we hope you like it. So uh, what do you want to start? You have some general comments. You have some delights that you want to talk about. I know we always like to start with the positive thing. Yeah, good idea. So let's do the objective stuff first. It's just the actual friction log. And then then I can we can jump into like opinions later, I guess, in the in the podcast. So, um, yeah, so delights, we usually start with delights. One thing I feel like they nailed was the sign up. It was easy. It was kind of fun, very well explained. It, they did a great job of not displaying too much information back to one of those laws that we talked about. And I think two podcasts ago, there wasn't too much information on it at each part of the walkthrough. And it also didn't feel like a wizard where it's like, oh, I've got 10 more steps to go. Oh no. I thought they did a really good job there. It was a fun sign up and onboarding experience. And it was by invitation only. So by definition, you only have enthusiasts as your initial users, which is also worth mentioning. I believe you got a code right. and then you shared it to me. And then I think both of us ended up paying it. So we have, I would say, good email addresses or hey addresses. I don't know if mm -hmm. I should call that an email or not. I know it works with email, but everything in the platform, yeah. at least in their messaging, is saying that it is something different. It's worth mentioning that. And I agree, the sign up with uh, the invitation code, it was really simple. I knew what I needed to do. And I kind of like understood what their value proposition was. And especially right. the payment. I think that was well explained. And it's also worth mentioning it uh, as part of the sign up. Yeah, right. Yep. So okay. another... Another delight, I liked how they were trying to teach you to be productive right off the bat. Like they were teaching you keyboard shortcuts from the start, which is nice because it, it, there's something about that, about keyboard shortcuts and using it. It makes you feel more productive. You can do things really, really fast. So it was cool that they did that right off the bat. You didn't have to go dig for the information. The double-edged sword of that though is the keyboard shortcuts were incomplete. Like I'd go into an, an email and I hit escape and uh, it wouldn't go back. And later on, I figured out, oh, you have to hit the one button to do that. But what app in the world, you know, you hit the one button to go back. That's really, really weird. Back to, I think we talked about this last podcast or two podcasts ago, Jacob's Law. You know, users are used to everybody else's website and app. And when they come to your app, they expect it to work the same way. And I definitely never use an app where you had to hit one to go back. So that was pretty weird. <laughs> it was. And also talking about, about those shortcuts and the whole navigation of the app, especially on the native iOS app, it seems weird. It seems, uh, I don't want to say pretty because it's not. And I think that's going to be one of the frictions. It seems like you're playing with email and they're trying to bring that concept in, which 
the first five seconds I was happy with it, but then the app didn't mm -hmm. behave what I was expecting. So I had a yeah. delight when I saw how the flow was going in and then it became a friction. And then at some point I was annoyed. So it's definitely right. an app that um, evokes spikes of emotions of either joy or frustration, or as you said, it just doesn't work and you wouldn't expect it. And that is technically rule number one broken jacob's law we expect it to work the way that it is supposed to work and if you have a shortcut there it should work and if not you should try to understand what's going on it seems like there was a lack of testing on, on that i'm sure it continues to evolve and it's a very early stage product but it is worth mentioning it as well yeah yeah for sure i was going to ask you if you had any more delights because that's all i have so <laughs> it doesn't seem like a lot. One delight that I have, I think, is I have a lot of newsletter and, and stuff like that. They have this concept, which we're going to talk about, about the feed, like kind of like a social media thing where all that stuff goes in. And I found that the delight that I really don't need to read that much of those newsletters. There are some things that I like. But I definitely feel like I can skip way more than just having it on my inbox, even though we're also going to talk about how weird my roles are on email that I have worked through many years. And that, that is something totally different. But just like buying into what the Hey platform is telling me to do, I found it at the light, the overall feed. And it seems like I don't get a lot of uh, personal emails these days. As I also noticed that. I don't know if that's a delight or not, but that is that is another feeling that came up with it. That's what, one delight. It's a delight that you don't get emails? <laughs> is that what you just said? <laughs> I, I don't know if it is or not. It seems to be like I text a lot, I guess, and I replace a lot of emails for with text. I don't know. <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> Do you think the interface is clean enough to call it a delight or do you think it is is more like a friction because it looks from like 15 years ago? Okay, so now it's getting into more emotional things, I guess, when we talked about this. But uh, you know, on one side, it is less cluttery compared to like all the buttons that are on maybe Gmail or some of the other mail clients like Outlook, especially Outlook, oh my word. But the interface still, it feels cluttered for a different reason, especially the action menu. You, you open up that action menu and there's like all this information, all these like, oh, it's the name and there's this box and then there's this keyboard shortcut and there's this, this other thing. And yeah, so it, 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 it somehow succeeds in not being cluttery and being cluttery all at the same time. <laughs> um, it, it, it's a spike of emotions up and down. I like that it is clean. I think it has way too many elements center and like the title inbox and, and some of those things the, are the, in the search middle. bar too. Yeah. The search bar does that where it's in the middle top. It's really odd. Yeah. And, and I'm looking at the web version right now and it's on the left and usually search bars, I will see them on the right and the logo is oh, in the middle. They um, moved it to the left. That's interesting. When I was using it and I wrote down this friction log, it was in the middle. So they did, they moved the, uh, Huh, interesting. So to but me, it you know should what's be on the odd. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, it's here's the other thing is it looks like it's not aligned because the search bar is kind of a little bit overlapped, but it's not like in the middle overlapped. Uh, and I'm responsively 
dragging it around and it, ah, yeah, see, this is driving me crazy. <laughs> I'm looking at it right Which now. Which interface are you using web? Yeah, the web app. Mm-hmm. Okay, so here's the thing. On the iPad, it is on the right, the search. On the web, it's on the left for me. And then the hey icon on the web is on the top middle, where on the iPad is at the bottom, which is the little hand icon. So it is inconsistent, um, and I'm sure it breaks another UX log. Now, moving on from that, you said it's less clutter. Yes, I like the wide uh, interface with the little shadows. I think that's a delight. But at the same time, the font size, and I think the, I will call it the weight of the font, especially for the previews when you don't have an image, like those uh, initials mm-hmm. of the people sending you email, I think that's too much. So I'm kind of like happy and then I get uh, a little bit annoyed about something. It's it's emotional, but still trying to be fair on, on both things, trying to look for the good and the bad. Right. The lights, anything else? Nope, that's it. <laughs> okay. It, it's interesting because usually in, in our episodes, as you would know, we interview each other and one is the interviewer and the other one is the interviewee. And here we're kind of like both explaining what we're doing. And in some things we, we do agree, some things we don't. But I think that the lights are, are pretty consistent. Um, now, coming as a user that has a clutter email and saying, hey, we're going to teach you how to use this one. I think for that particular persona, I think that will be a delight because it brings order and a way to organize it. And I think Mm -hmm. users will value that and they will consider that a delight. I'm not that persona. You're not. But there are some out there that if you feel like your email is a mess, you might want to try this one. It's going to give you some order and purpose uh, or where to put things. And you probably will like it. That's all I'm yeah, going to say. I, yeah, I, um, I, I spent some time reading up on um, you know, their Twitter accounts and then their marketing and stuff on what problem it solves and who, it, who it's for and why and all that kind of stuff. And um, I read it and it, it, it didn't strike me. I was like, okay, I don't really have that problem. And I just don't. Like they're explaining, oh, email is this and email is that. And I'm like, I don't have that problem. But, you know, I, I was I went into the app going, okay, well, let's see if it fixes or maybe it'll expose that I do actually have that problem and I'm just in denial. But after using it, I'm like, yeah, I still don't have a problem that this thing's trying to solve. <laughs> um, but it's kind of like, because um, Superhuman, it's not the same thing, but it's very similar. You know, Superhuman's a, um, an email client, an email app. I think it's just for G Suite, but what they do is they just teach you how to do inbox zero and how to use really cool keyboard shortcuts to be productive. And that's kind of their product is that. And I, I think you're right. I think if, uh, if you have a hard time organizing your email or you get a lot of anxiety from it, then you'll probably see more benefits than, you know, me. I, I just don't have the problems that they say that, people have with it you can you can have anxiety because you don't reach email zero and you can have anxiety because you do and you're used to it and i think i'm on the latter group where hey doesn't bring the concept of inbox zero they don't want you together basically every email that you already read 
is on a section below that says previously seen and there is no way to archive that. So there is no way to have a clean interface where you don't see anything and I'm used to that. And to me, that was friction number one. It was like, I, how do I get rid out of this? Like, I don't, I don't want to see these old emails and especially I use archive a lot and I, I just couldn't. But what do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, they, this kind of goes into one of their things, which is the terms that they use. They actually have a thing called set aside. And you can, like the previously seen, if you go into an email and say set aside, it goes away. But they kind of make a point like, oh, we don't do archives. Well, that's what set aside is. You're moving it to the side and it goes away, I think. <laughs> um, I, I, I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't get it. I don't understand, um, like why they changed the names. I mean, again, back to Jacob's law, uh, things that people expect and establish stuff. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it, it's all these like glib terms, the screener, the IM box, the inbox, I am M not in, I N I M inbox, the feed, the paper trail. And it's like, once you read it, you're like, oh, you mean where my newsletters go? Oh, you mean where junk mail goes? You, you know, it's just like, why Why would you break Jacob's Law just to be clever? Other than it's just overly trying to come up with some marketing term that will deceive somebody or something. I, I don't know. It's, it's just not, it, it doesn't make sense why you would sacrifice that user experience for be, trying to be clever. <laughs> To this day, I don't know 100% what inbox means. I think it's important box, but I'm not yeah. 100% sure. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, I, I I think it's a friction because I thought it could be a typo at some point when I read the first time. I was like, what am I looking at? And as you said, it's changing something that it is established. Now, there's a good thing about this. You were talking about Superhuman and Spark and Airmail. Email is a long-established technology that has been with us for so many years. And that to some degree, there is not a lot that can be done with it, with the protocol and the way that it works, because everybody has one and it has to stay to some like the same for compatibility. Now... All these tools, hey, Superhuman, the other apps that I was talking about, they try to bring something new. They try to do what um, Slack try to do with uh, mess like messaging within mm -hmm. the enterprise, like something that I'm sure everybody was using Skype at some point, and they like there were all these other things. And I appreciate and like the fact that our people tried to make email cool and new and they try to bring it to the modern world i haven't seen one that i said oh this is it this is um how email should be in 2020 but i like like i, I like the tries that they do and there are some things that i say like oh this is good this is this is a nice thing. My perfect email client would be a combination of all these apps and nobody will build it. And if I build it myself, yeah. I'm probably the only one using it. So um, <laughs> no. <laughs> all right. So frictions, what else do you have? Oh man, so many things. One of them is around the fact that it isn't email. And so because of that, 
you know, I can't use another mail client. Like I signed up for, for this thing and I have to forward it, you know, to, to a mail account. So there's no IMAP or anything like that. So that's kind of annoying because I, I thought, Oh, I'll just add an IMAP thing into my spark mail client on my Mac app. And Nope. Cause I'm definitely not using their, their app. Like it's just, I can't, I've tried, I've tried, I've tried so much anxiety from like, Oh, I can't do this or I can't do this or I can't do this or can't do this fast. Where's this at? The search isn't working right. You know, the, all that kind of stuff. So there's no way I can use it. You know, the their actual apps. So it's like, okay, well, how do I bring this into spark? And can. uh, I can't, yeah, you can't. Uh, I, I think that crosses the line of friction and it becomes a blocker where you cannot just do your email or you can just work with your email because uh, you're limited. So that, that would be probably a blocker. Would you say so? Uh, yeah, I think so. I mean, that was a blocker for me. I mean, that, that pretty much eliminated me into using, you know, I, after a day, I'm like, there's just no way I can use this. Interesting. I don't recall having a blocker myself. I mean, I'm using it. I just don't love it. Like uh, I have been trying and I don't love the interface. I don't love the UX. I think it comes from, there are some details that it comes from the 2000s and there are some <laughs> the way that they manage some of the lines and the fonts and, and some of those things, even the spacing between the fonts, it, it it seems a little bit annoying to me, but I, I don't consider any of that blocker. Maybe having a third-party email client, but I kind of like knew when I signed up for it that, that I wasn't going to get one. So I I was aware of it, but I don't, I'm trying to think on a, on a really bad blocker and no, I don't have any. Uh, I do have more frictions though, if you're interested in listening to them. Yeah, go for it. Okay, a friction to me is any email app that I have, I configure it in a way or it already has a way to delete with one tap or click. Hey doesn't allow me to do that, at least not on the iPad. I have to do two taps to delete the email. And that is if this app is supposed to save me time, that is doing the opposite. And I have to watch the animation of this menu coming up every time I want to do an action with that email. Again, clear interface doesn't have to be against having the buttons that you need and use. Like if they would do something where they will detect which ones are the ones that you're using the most and they will customize for you, that would be great. But as it is right now, I, I find it as a friction. Now, I'm wondering how many people are signing up just to keep the name because uh -huh. that's one of their promises. And they say, well, if you sign up for, I think it's a year for 99 bucks uh, right. and you can, they're going to keep your email. So in my case, it's my last name, Cavazos at hey.com and don't spam me, please. I have hey, and it has a spam blocker. <laughs> um, but um, I probably 50% of my decision to really buy it after the two weeks of trial was I want to keep it. Maybe they will they will eventually fix it and they will make something out of it. And I want to mm -hmm. make sure that I have my own name. Was that the case for you? Yeah, I mean, similar. I, I went ahead and bought it. it you know, my, it, going back to the emotional part of it, not the objective part, I just really did not like the apps at all. I'm like, I can't use this. But, you know, it's it's kind of an early adopter thing. It's early. 
and they're trying, they're trying something. And I, I like that they're trying. So it's like, yeah, I'll, I'll pay a hundred bucks. And then, yeah, reserve your name that way too. It, it, it will be curious to see like their ARR this year is like, wow, we're doing great. I'm curious what the renewal rate is going to be for next year. <laughs> that would be interesting. Yeah, I would they say 50%, 50% of me was to keep my name. The other 50 was a subtle way to tell them that they have something and I want to support you. And here's 50 bucks for that. And here's 50 bucks to keep my own name. But then if they look at my analytics, they're going to see that I stopped using it after we finished this study. I hope they've realized that before the renewals come in because mm-hmm. it's Probably, I'm probably not the only one that is going to do that. So, well, um, it, it's kind of smart if you think about it on their side. It's smart because they release something that you know is for early adopters. It, it's it's an idea, a concept that they have that's not fully baked, and uh, it's a they have a big fan base. So they've get a bunch of guys to sign up, and they know they have a year to make it into something. So then next year, when things roll around, it's like. If people start don't start renewing, then they they have people that they can talk to. Why didn't you renew? Why? Didn't, so it, it's actually they're kind of in a good position from that perspective. And also from economics, you're kind of like funding the company, right, or the product with these early adopters. You're getting money out of them, and you have one year to prove it. But now you have the money, and you have to. Uh, once you solve that issue and you have enough to invest in the product, then I think something good can can come out of it. So I think it's a smart idea. It's a it's a marketing genius thing, and we talked about um, it on our previous episode and how they went in a fight with Apple and they, they <laughs> did this clever thing to sign up for a temporary random email address that you can use from the iOS app or the iPadOS app. And I think from a marketing perspective, it's outstanding. From a product mm-hmm. perspective, there are too many frictions for me to really adopt it as my primary email client or email interface. Now, custom domains, they don't allow custom domains. And I and they say it's coming soon. So I'm right. hoping yeah. that they will fix mm-hmm. it. But yeah, this is kind of like the Gmail, the gmail.com, at gmail.com version of, of Hey!, yeah, they don't have the and, the business part of it yet. And also, like Gmail was the other way around, where before you could have your own custom domain for free, and now you got to pay for it. I, I think it's cheap, but um, right. you got to pay for it. And these guys were kind of like the opposite. We're like, we're going to give you, hey, we don't allow any custom domains because we don't know what we're going to do with it. And I'm hoping that they come up with something that it is not like just enterprises and it's more like, oh, what if you have your personal domain and you want to sign up? Is it part of your subscription or not? And I think they're trying mm-hmm. to figure out the business model for companies. But right. for people, I think they will keep it the same. To this day, I think it's it's a little bit friction. Like, let's say that my account that is sending me an email on Gmail and that gets forward to, hey, and then I reply to her right. uh, 
via hey.com and then she's going to be like what what like people notice those changes and that's right. i don't feel very comfortable replying from a different email address because i'm right now i'm just forwarding my gmail account to it so <laughs> yeah it's yeah oh what is this email oh this is cesar your rich nigerian uncle that wants a 200 dollar amazon gift card you know just send me a send me <laughs> it's like yeah i know what you mean when you change email addresses and stuff like that people are like wait a minute is this a spammer? Is he trying to fish on me? You know, is he fishing? <laughs> exactly. So I, I think that's just bad. I think personal domains, they should have come up with version one, but we will see. They will bring it. Now, what else? Do you have anything else you want to talk about? Oh, man, there's so much. Um, I, You know, probably the only other big one worth talking about is the the feel of the app. The feel of the app Parts of it are pretty snappy, but some of it's kind of surprisingly sluggish. Even just like small things, like if you, on the web app anyway, if you click on your profile on the top right, they actually show a loading indicator to open up the menu. And the menu is just like, it's just a, a, an app menu, login security, the name and forward, forwarding setup, you know, account billing, export data, appearance, logout, you know, those kind of buttons that you would see. There's a loading uh, screen for that. It, I don't understand. So that stuff like that bothers me. And then on iOS, you go to click an e, uh, a new mail, um, send, you know, compose a new mail, and there's a loading indicator to get to that screen. So it just, it, the whole app just feels really sluggish because of all these loading indicators. It's really weird. Also, the settings on the iPadOS app, also for half a second, it shows a loading. So there is a lot server driven and that affects the UI directly. And I, I feel it too. It shouldn't be this way, especially the account settings. I, I think, I mean... I feel like there is there are better ways to do that and they're trying to reuse as much as possible the code from one platform to another one. So I think that's that's causing some of this and uh, we're early adopters. So we notice those things and we're kind of like, eh, you can probably do something about it. Yeah, exactly. Okay. I want to close it out with a good note, something that I like and a, a delight and... I want to mention it because I think it's worth it. I like that they actually show you when a email tracker was blocked. I think that is smart. I think not a lot of people know that there are email trackers or maybe they do. They just don't think about it. But um, maybe it's not our audience. I'm thinking more on like my parents and, and some of my relatives but the fact that they block those trackers, I think that's great for privacy. And I applaud that initiative and I consider that a delight. UX loss, the principle of least astonishment. We have mentioned the polar principle or the principle of least astonishment in a few episodes and it's something recurring on the studies that we do so we're gonna ask our uh, expert in-house rick what is the principle of least astonishment how would you define it well i'm astonished you called me an expert but that's beside the point so pola or principle of least astonishment sometimes you'll hear it principle of least surprise it 
kind of states that if a feature has a high surprise factor, astonishment factor, then you probably need to redesign the feature. And, and that goes with code as well. You know, you, if you have a method called to string and it actually converts it to a number, oh, surprise, <laughs> that's bad. So in general, Pola is associated with bad things. You should not surprise the user. The user should not be astonished. So broader, you know, the broader principle is features and products can form us that a component of a system. Yeah, because of Jacob's law and stuff, it, it should behave a certain way. And the users expect it to behave that way. So Pola is anytime you diverge from that expectation, the user's astonished, the user's surprised because it's behaving a way that the user's not expecting it to behave. And that is the principle of least astonishment. Get away from that as much as possible. And if users are surprised, then you need to redesign the feature. Great. To put it in, in other words, would you say that if I'm using, I don't know, Windows and <laughs> every program within Windows has F1 as the help menu and I decide to do F1, the send an email feature, uh, that will break the Pola principle, correct? Yep, exactly. There you go. Hopefully this makes it clear. We have a few links in the show notes for you to check out. And that's it. Thanks. Hey, that was fun. See what I did there with the joke? <laughs> <laughs> Moving on with our regular schedule, we have an actual developer experience friction log. And this is a new one. New one because it is smaller and because it is a new type called feature experience. For that, Rick is going to interview me. Rick, take it away. Yeah. So real quick before we interview Cesar. So a feature friction log is just like the other friction logs we've been doing, which are first time experience logs, but it's hyper-focused on just a feature. Whereas before, like when we did Next.js and Vercel and, and, and some of these up Tailwind, it was kind of the whole thing, the whole taking the whole experience in view, um, the ecosystem of Tailwind and all that. In the case of a feature log, all you're doing is just logging any kind of friction and emotions on that one feature that, that you're using, whether that's from the docs or the release notes or you know just implementing it, that one specific API. So that's what a feature friction log is. And uh, so Cesar did one this past week on Next.js 9.5. It's a new version of Next.js that was released, I don't know, two, three weeks ago from this podcast. I can't remember when. But it's cool because it had actually a few features that we needed for the website. So it was perfect. We were going to have to do some web hooks and stuff to update the website. And then this actually enable us to do it without that. Anyway, so about the tester, we always start with the tester. So the, 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 the friction logger, <laughs> the loggers, maybe that should be the name of the friction log people, Cesar, the loggers. So in this case, it's Cesar and Cesar, why don't you tell us about, you know, you're the, you're, you're the persona, right? So tell us about your persona before we jump into the logs. Absolutely. So I am a mobile developer, web developer for the past few years. I am very familiar with JavaScript, but I don't have a ton of, I would say, production experience with the React. I do a few things here and there, and I understand the concepts, but I'm definitely not an expert. I don't consider myself like that. But 
I have worked on the friction log website before. I built some things related to the RSS generation and some of the server side related stuff, a little bit of UI work, I would say. So I knew a little bit what I was getting into it. And I think it's also worth mentioning that I read the release notes, what, like two, three weeks ago, as you were saying, and spent like three, four minutes just going through it and understand what we wanted to do. And other than that, my goal as the logger was to update the site to use one particular feature which is the static site regeneration of the website. And I can talk a little bit about it. Other than that, I make sure I tested the uh, new version and that was it. It's, it's a very small video of like 30 minutes or so. Cool. All right, good. So um, why don't you talk specifically about the features in 9.5 that you needed to use? What, like what they do just briefly, and then we can jump right in the logs. So static site regeneration means that every time that you make content changes, your website on runtime will detect it and will rebuild it. So we do static site generation, which is all the code gets compiled into static pages and then it gets served through a CDN as we have talked on previous episodes. Now, with this one, we don't have to recompile with new content. We just have to enable this feature and it will automatically do that. Now, for us, it was a need because we use a CMS called Graph CMS. And that's where all our content, blog post logs, friction logs, podcast is. So every time I publish the podcast episodes that you're listening to, I had to trigger a rebuild with no code changes and and get that information out. Now we don't have to do that because it now it's smart enough to do it. Does that explain what we were trying to do, Rick? Yep. It's great. All right. So let's jump in the logs. So we always start with the lights. So I, I see in the logs that you wrote um, on the website, there's two delights specifically. So why why are the release notes a delight? That's kind of interesting. Like you, you sometimes you think of release notes as like this mundane, like, oh, we got to put these out here because we have to do it. But you made it uh, a delight. So how come? Well, for starters, you can tell when somebody's paying attention to the release notes. Like I used to have a lot of fun reading release notes of some particular apps in the app store, as opposed to, you know, your regular Facebook updates that, oh, this update brings you no new features and bug fixes, and they don't really tell you anything about it. So I, my love for uh, special release notes comes from that background. Now, in here, it was just a very small summary, and it was well redacted. It wasn't like developer notes like just bringing the commits into the release notes it was somebody craft that message and say here's what we want you to um, focus on there were a lot of more small things that were into this release but i didn't have to worry about them and i like that they brought me those particular things and i think that's one of the reasons why we were like oh this is what we were looking for we should implement Mm -hmm. this because that was Feature number one, static site regeneration on runtime. And uh, I also noticed one um, 
another where um, something with the trailing slashes and the URLs that does automatically some cleanup, which I think it helps a lot with SEO. And the other ones were out there, not really for me, but it was um, fun enough to read through them. And then I could click the, the link and see a lot more detail. And they had all these links to their docs, to the right implementation of these new features. So overall, as a developer, if I want to update things, I don't want to go through every developer commit um, trying to figure out what is in here and uh, somebody craft this message. And I, for one, appreciate it a lot. Cool. All right. Good. You know, on top of the release notes, one of the kind of delights that I have with this community is some of the people that I follow in the Next.js community, including Guillermo. A lot of times I kind of get the release notes trickled down from them in in tweets and so it's like by the time i actually get to the release note i'm like oh yeah this revalidation stuff they've been talking about this for the last few days so there's already a familiarity even with new features which i think is an interesting it's like a you know prelude of what's coming up and and yeah. you get that social aspect of it yeah yeah and then your brain kind of just instantly when you see the release notes and you read through oh yeah that thing i remember I remember reading a Twitter thread about that, which is important. That's an important, you know, experience part of being in, in this Next.js ecosystem. Yeah, I agree. I mean, there is talk around it. There's the short version at the top. You can click on each of the links and look into what it is. Um, there were, as I was saying, there are some things like rewrites, redirects, and headers, which we don't really use, at least not right now. But it is an important thing to mention. I simply can ignore it for now, and I can just focus on what I wanted to do. Right. The YouTube recording, I, I, I haven't watched it yet, but I just clicked it open just to look at it. It's only 30 minutes long. Did it really only take 30 minutes to implement that new feature? I did a lot of testing on some of the things. So I was playing a little bit with the CMS and, and I would say development time and coding wise, I don't know, it was like 30 lines. Me talking through it and doing some tests and kind of like showing in the video how it was responding that was what it took most of the time. So if you can fast forward that video, then it's going to be fine. There is not a ton of code out there, but I like it. It was fast. And when you think about updating the core framework of your app, it usually involves more time. Like I remember updating Angular and even Vue.js and it took way more testing and it took more development than what it is here. Maybe it's because it's a small small enough to do it but overall i like it and i have seen a lot of enterprise software outdated than that i this is something that i would recommend uh, we talk a little bit about the enterprise teams and how they pick their tools but this is something that i would recommend to an enterprise because hey if you allocate enough time every month or every two months that, that this come, you can always have this up to date with the latest and greatest. And if it includes something with security, then you will be on top of it. And I consider that a delight. Yeah. Okay. Makes sense. Cool. All right. So it uh, looks like there's two or three friction things here, friction logs. One of them you mentioned was the component name warning. I know what that is. I'm curious why you think that's a friction though. Uh, I guess it was just a friction because it interrupted my flow of what I was trying to do. I wasn't expecting to see the warning right there, especially no, like I, I guess 
it's one of the small things that it wasn't worth mentioning on the release notes. And, and it just broke my flow of what I was trying to do. Yeah. So, so is this the one where you have to export a component directly, not like export default and then you export a function, a React uh, component? You have to actually say like... Name it. Yeah. A named component, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so it was a small so, fix. I w- it just broke my right. flow on my goal. I wasn't expecting to fix that right away. It was a warning. Technically, a warning shouldn't break anything, but it mentioned something with the regeneration of the site. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of like, oh, okay, so maybe we should fix this. And it, it was a one-liner. It wasn't a big deal. Yeah, I think in this case, that I would personally, I would consider this a positive friction because there is friction that sometimes is good. And in this case, oh, of course. It, you know, because back to the principle of least astonishment, if if you don't want to surprise a user, you know, what the heck? My site's not being statically generated. Why not? And then they get surprised. Oh, it's because they didn't name it something. But in this case, it's causing friction so that you don't go through that astonishment, that surprise. Um, they, you, they catch it early. So I, I would call this a positive friction, I think. Yeah, I don't, I don't consider any of the frictions that I put on this one as bad frictions. They are things that just slow me down to some degree. So mm-hmm. the next one that we can talk about is I run into this thing where I skip a part. I was doing the recording and I was trying to show my thought process in the video. So I was talking loud. And I kind of like jump a paragraph of two on the release notes. And that part included the um, dynamically generated pages. This is not only updates on pages that are already there, but this is kind of like adding a new page based on the data. And I kind of like skip that part, which means that by the time I finished the video, it had a bug. And then once we uh, review the PR and merge it, then we realized it was it. And then I went and fixed it. So... I I just happened to run into that, and I think it was more because of the video than than the actual tool. But it's something that can happen, so I I figure it's worth mentioning. Right. Okay. And my last one, the summarize uh, implementation steps. So this is a little bit related to that. The release notes are great; they're consolidated, and then there's a little bit more explanation. But then the actual implementation steps, like navigating through those links. You basically need two things to do the static site regeneration. You Mm -hmm. need to revalidate property in your get static props function. And you need to add fallback uh, property with the value of true in the get static paths. That's basically the gist of it. And there is is more logic around error pages and what to show when you're um, loading it. But to, I want to call it to enable the feature these are the two elements. And in none of the docs that I read, the two were kind of like line up. So I might be asking too much for it, but it's something that I experienced. Like, here's how you enable it. And here's the five things that you want to take a look at it. And you can go to the details of that. I think that will be worth uh, having it. It might be too specific for this feature. Yes, probably. It might be implemented in other features. Also, yes, but it's it's something. And I think if you ever happen to run into this and you find this page, you're going to see it and you're going to be thankful you found it. Great. Awesome. Well, thank you, Cesar. Any any closing remarks or, or comments? 
I'm quite happy with it. Uh, shout out to the team that releases Next.js uh, to Yermo and the whole team. They have a conference coming up soon. We both registered. The registration process is awesome. So, <laughs> so I can't cool. wait to, to attend to it. Yeah, it's a brilliant marketing campaign for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. Awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you, Rick. Well, that's all for today's episode of Friction Log. Thank you for listening and make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app and visit our website, frictionlog.com. Adios, amigos. <laughs>